0: Against us is the law with its immensity of strength and power Against us is the law Police know how to make a man a guilty or an innocent
1: This lies that men have told will evermore be paid in gold. Against us is the power of the gold. Against us is the racial hatred and the simple fact
0: that we poor Greetings everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of Material Analysis, the podcast. Today's episode name is Sedition. We are going to be discussing among all aspects of sedition and laws about sedition, one particular law, which is the unlawful activities prevention act this is an indian anti-terrorism law which was created on 30th december 1967 by Jawarlal nehru this act has been amended five times till now i believe once in 1969 then 2004 8, 12 and 19 and what does this act essentially enable the state? It enables the state to uh, stop somebody's right to freedom of speech, their right to assemble peacefully, their right to form associations and arrest them. Unlike other criminal charges, a person who is arrested on a UAPA charge cannot be bailed. Also, there are ways in which the person can be almost indefinitely kept in jail before producing them in front of a magistrate. Officially, of course, this time period is not indefinite, but it can be reinstated again and again and again, so you would often see people who have been for years and years in jail before being produced in front of a magistrate, in most of the cases they get acquitted. So essentially this is one of the most powerful means of repression the Indian state has because most of the people who get charged with the UAPA law end up being acquitted. But that's not the point. The point is to keep them in jail. Often these people are also brutalized and tortured. Um, So today's episode is going to be about this particular law and its history, its practice, and its analysis. Joining me is uh, Comrade Bella and Comrade Pramod. Say hi to the audience, please.
1: Hello, hello, hello.
0: So uh before we begin to discuss this law and its history, um one incident which has happened recently, which makes this thing topical, is the Tripura incident. Uh Pramod, do you want to talk to our audience about what happened in Tripura?
2: Yeah, so in the backdrop of Incidents of communal violence in uh, Bangladesh during Durga Pujo, where basically Hindu uh, pandals and temples, etc., were attacked by Muslim mobs. Um, There was reprisal violence in Tripura against the local Muslim population, local Bengali Muslim population. And uh, to be clear, the epicenter of the riots in uh, in Bangladesh, we're in a province called Kumila. Now, Kumila is basically what used to be earlier known as Plains Tripura. It is basically the province, the part of Bangladesh which directly adjoins Tripura. So that violence has spilled over to Tripura. And in Tripura, where Bengali Hindus are the majority, Bengali Muslims have been targeted, mosques have been burnt down, attacked, etc., mainly by the php and RSS and other right-wing Hindu bodies and obviously since tripura has a bjp government in place they have gotten away with it uh, and the state has basically done nothing to punish or punish the perpetrators or stop these riots mm-hmm. um what has happened since then is uh, this kind of, the news of these riots were actually suppressed uh, they were actually brought to public attention by certain um uh, Muslim activist groups, uh, certain journalists, etc., who were basically trending hashtags on social media, were basically getting the news out of these mm. uh, riots happening in Tripura. Um, and um, in response over the past few uh, and o- obviously as a result there were fact-finding missions, etc., the Tripura police obviously went ahead and basically tried saying, um, you know, tried telling these activists, et cetera, who are basically bringing out the news of what was going on in Tripura saying that don't spread rumors, etc. there will be action taken against you. And as a result of that, what has happened is that um, a lot of these people who were talking on social media disproportionately, but not exclusively Muslim, uh, and a lot of these lawyers and activists who had, started, who had gone to Tripura and who had started bringing out these stories from the ground, they have actually been charged under the UAPA so and uh, uh, how so, many do
1: you, think? do you do you know like the because the last reports i read said well over 100 people
2: right so there were 71 pe- people under uapa and other sections of the ipc um mm. uh, not 100 um, 101 were basically they were they had blacklisted 101 accounts but there were actually 71 people who charged under the uapa who have been asked to like um uh, uh, appear in front of courts um, okay. there were some other like you know it's not like 100 and 102 because i can actually say that um amit srivasta mukesh kumar who are supreme court lawyers etc they've also been slapped with it um, they have uh, you know then another guy Mira singh who's a journalist they'd slapped uapa cases basically uapa case for writing tripura is burning Yes. yes,
0: Basically, Basically. just that phrase, Tripura is burning, which by the way is a literal description of the event, So Tripura is burning by the way, regardless of whatever Tripura police is saying.
2: And and, and interestingly, one person uh, like they even like actually tried slapping a UAPA case on the diaspora. Indian activist group. I think Indian uh, Muslim, I think, what is that? Indian Muslim Council of America, or something of
0: like that sort. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is not an Indian, Indian, Indian group, group. So it is like quite hilarious that they tried uh, doing uh, that. So at this point, it is important to talk a little bit about the history of such laws. All right. And before we begin on the history of UAPA itself, it's important to chart out where this logic comes from. And interestingly enough, this logic comes from certain laws from the revolutionary era in Europe. See, when the modern state formed, immediately states recognized that they had sort of tied up their own hands thanks to democracy, thanks to liberal values of you know due process and freedom of speech etc states realize that they can't push people around and that these rights were making the people very uppity and as we see after 1848 there are a lot of rebellions all across europe at this point the european states start to think how do we have our cake and eat it too how do we call ourselves modern liberal states and yet manage to subvert the very principles which they are uh, technically all about. And one thing that is found uh, to get around their own laws at that time is basically laws against anarchy and eventually laws against terrorism. So you have to understand the meaning of the word terrorism. While it's in its popular uses these days, it is used in almost, you know, meaningless phrase because you will even have radicals and extremists who are not using terrorist tactics, who are waging the war against uh, state or, uh, you know, police or army personnel, even they would be called terrorists, right? But that's not what the word means. Terrorism is a very specific kind of political act which involves the use of terror against civilians right mm. and that act comes from a specific anarchist tactic I, I, called... I, I should i should like
2: just clarify that that is like the modern interpretation of terrorism that is now used but historically that's not how terrorism has been defined like especially yeah, so... when the anarchists anarchists used it like they no, no, that's little... what
0: i'm i'm getting to that na? good lord why are you interrupting <laughs> so like so historically anarchists had a tactic called propaganda of the deed and this is and the word terrorism was used in a fairly blasé fashion as in it wasn't it didn't have that sort of negative connotations we had we have now it was assumed in those times that it was yet one more tactic among an array of tactics which anti-government uh, extremists use generally anarchists so the first anti-terrorism laws so to speak or or basically laws to uh, detain people without due process or to curtail their rights they came out of czarist russia essentially the anarchists managed to assassinate uh, a czar uh, uh, Alexander II in 1881, and that resulted in a series of highly repressive laws, which which were justified on the basis of protecting the state, and hence could go around judicial injunctions of uh, you know due process, etc. Mm. In 1893, you had the first set of openly called anti-terrorist laws which came out of the third french republic these laws were of course extremely unpopular because uh, uh, they could be used to censor the press they could be uh, they could condemn people who were not involved in any violent act even if they were associated with somebody involved in a violent act or associated with an organization which even theoretically talked about revolution etc so basically these French laws were used against the uh, International Workingmen's Association or as it was later called the First Communist International so Mm -hmm. uh, as you know the International Workingmen's Association was the organization which Karl Marx and Frederick Engels were part of Uh, basically a socialist libertarian organization which was anti-capitalist and anti-state and hence attracted these laws we fast forward a few decades and we see that the concept of sedition becomes more and more popular and the british in their vast empire start to uh, start to use similar mechanisms uh, on uh, on the on their subject population right so mm-hmm. we have for example uh, in 1915 the defense of india act which is the first attempt at sort of by the british government in india to uh, sort of subvert their own laws and start arresting people en masse ostensibly the uh, Defense of India Act was made as responses to the Lahore conspiracy, the Gadar conspiracy, and what would eventually be called the uh, Hindu-German conspiracy, which these were basically attempts by the Anushilan Samiti and Jugantar to Mm -hmm. uh, 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 start revolutionary activities in India. There were certain uh, incidents which led to it. There was the assassination of uh, Lord Curzon Wiley uh, on the instigation of Vidi Savarkar uh, by Madanlal Dhingra. Then there was uh, the Alipur bomb case. Then there was uh, uh, the Jugantar movement and Rajbihari Bihari boss escaping India and getting to Japan. Raj Bihari boss was this right-wing revolutionary leader uh, who basically would end up making the revolutionary movement in Japan, which will later go to Chandra Bose. Anyway, the the idea of preventive detention and the violation of habeas corpus, these were not something which were unique to the Defense of India Act. In fact, preventive detention was used by the Raj as early as 1818, right? Like uh, 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 prisoners, Uh, could be, uh, 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 like, there were these specific acts, which, by the way, still exist in various police jurisdictions, which give a lot of power to individual uh, SHOs and Thanedars, etc. Similarly, there was the Newspaper Act, uh, which was to arrest editors uh, 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 and stop their agitation in the newspaper. Interestingly enough, the Newspaper Act was often used against not just Indians, but like uh, uh, British, like uh, English and Irish people, because there was a lot of sympathy for the revolutionaries among a London-based and Ireland-based newspapers, so often they would uh, similarly there was the prevention of seditious meetings act which uh, uh, the came around in I think 1907 and then in finally in 1910 there was the Indian Press Act, so all the components to make a universal repressive act to basically violate any uh, due process of a subject of the british empire the, these these pieces were already present but they would require the additional push of the Gadar conspiracy which was an attempt by uh, diasporic revolutionaries in america basically to ally with the Central Powers like Germany and drop arms into India. When the planned mutiny failed, the in 1915 you had Sir Reginald Cradock, who was the new Viceroy. They combined a lot of these things uh, and made the Defence of India Act. One of the people who really pushed for the Defence of India Act was the very famous British official Michael O'Dwyer, who would be later. Assassinated by Indian revolutionary Udham Singh, uh, mm. uh, and and the scope was universal. Unlike these p- previous acts, for the first time, uh, you had subordinate officers with extreme amount of leeway into what they could do, like uh, powers of detention before defense of uh, 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 before this particular act uh, were were at station level they were not at subordinate officers level now the police had a lot of powers of initiative of of initiating violence on suspected revolutionaries and uh, uh, this had a huge impact this particular law you had the lahore conspiracy trial you had the benares conspiracy trial basically uh, the widespread arrests in bengal ended up crushing the whole dhaka wing of the anushilan samiti like uh, pretty much uh, 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 it was uh, wiped out at that point uh, you also had uh, massive arrests uh, of uh, essentially who would be the congress leaders later you would even have uh, deportation of a lot of British citizens who were sympathetic to Indian revolutionaries. For example, uh, you had the famous British journalist, Benjamin Horniman, who had reported on uh, the Jallianwala Bagh massacre. He was deported out of India using this particular act. So, mm. uh, now the thing was that Defense of India Act was going to lapse. Uh in a, in, a, in a couple of years, uh, and the climate was getting more and more uh, revolutionary in India. You had Muhammad Ali Jinnah leaving the Viceroy's Council in protest. You had uh, uh, you know the Jallianwala Bagh massacre in 1919. Uh, and basically, what happened was that the Raulat committee. Uh, sat around uh, uh, and created what would be called the anarchial and revolutionary crimes act of 1919 as i said a lot of these anti terror acts all around the world were a response to the very popular anarchist movement which caught hold all the way from russia with uh, which is called the home of anarchism right bakunin etc To America with Emma Goldman and even an American president was assassinated. So the brutality which the police was doing on suspected anarchists in prisons, it it was not something limited to Indian revolutionaries. This was a global repressive movement and it was possible to push through a lot of things at that time because they were being pushed all over. So you see in 18th March 1919, the Raulot Act passing, which was even if possible more repressive than the Defense of India Act. Uh, These were called black laws. Uh, Almost immediately, uh, Gandhi and other Congress leaders uh, went on uh, agitation against them. Jinnah left the Viceroy League, Hartals took place all over India, and, and this kicked off the Uh, then non-cooperation movement. Uh, In fact, Nehru says that Gandhi's popularity to a large degree uh, was a consequence of the agitation he did in consequence of the Raulat Act. Uh, Because if you remember, um, uh, Gandhi was ill in 1990, right? And he went on a very public... uh, uh agitation uh, uh, the hartal uh, uh, and satyagraha became became like commonly known at that time there were also you know other events like i said the jallianwala Bagh massacre would happen in 1919 which all led to an extremely uh, radical atmosphere and eventually the british government would uh, relent and uh, they would they, there was a committee which was made called the Repressive Laws Committee, which was uh, made to investigate that has the colonial government gone too far. and The committee said that yes, it has gone too far. And uh, the Press Act, which I just talked about, the Raulat Act, and and 22 laws in total, uh, were repealed in 1922. So, in so 1922, just, to, just to
1: interject, Chandu, um, what you're saying is that. To a great extent, a lot of these laws were first inspired by leftist organizing, not just in India, obviously, but elsewhere, yes. um, especially laws that were in, they were in they,
0: they primarily started out as anti-socialist laws. So if yes. you look at the anti-socialist laws of Germany, which were made by Bismarck, which basically became the, uh, you know, the... Uh, Template of these laws—they were literally called the laws against social democratic movement or something like that. Right. So, then
1: the other uh, thing I wanted to point to is also the that within a fairly short time frame because of massive public backlash and pushback. Right.
0: Yes. Yes. So you see massive public backlash mm-hmm. in America against anti-anarchist laws. You see, uh, you know, like in germany despite it basically being a despotic uh, authoritarian country under bismarck you see massive public backlash and, and bismarck is forced to withdraw the anti socialist laws in fact the the movement the social democratic movement becomes so popular in germany in part thanks to the public upheaval that formed in reaction to those laws similarly in india like nehru said a lot of the popularity of the satagraha movement stems from the Raulat Act. Like, mm-hmm. before the Raulat Act, revolution, especially at the Gadarite time, you see, it was a very upper middle class thing, which the Anushalites were doing. But yeah. with the Raulat Act, you see working class move, especially in Punjab, you see the Naujawan Sabha getting activated. You see a lot of Uh, revolutionary activism, and that would not stop. In fact, Jallianwala Bagh incident, if anything, makes these things even more popular. So Mm. let us stop talking about the pre-colonial... So this was like the backdrop in which such uh, uh, laws were made. Now let's... Like, you know, one of the promises of the Congress government was that after independence, you know, all these undemocratic laws are going Mm. to be scrapped. They are going to be completely ended. But this doesn't happen because of, again, communism. Essentially, when Nehru gets into power, he has this extreme fear of a really popular communist movement not just happening in uh, the Madras presidency, but happening in the adjacent yet separate kingdom of Travancore and also happening in Bengal with the uh, with the land reform and the Khado Andolan and all the movements mm. there, right? Mm. So, Nehru is actually in peril of a communist popularity. In fact, the Communist Party is the... Uh, The opposition party at that time, it it is the second largest party after Congress, the third largest being the Socialist Party, which Mm -hmm. has sympathies with the Communist Party, right? So there Mm -hmm. is police repression almost immediately after uh, you see independence. And finally, Mm -hmm. you see in 1961, uh, a, a body called the National Integration Council and Ostensibly, this body is made to fight three things religious bigotry, casteism, Mm. and regionalism. All right. Mm. But the first thing that this body does, almost immediately after convening in 1963, the first thing it does is the 16th Amendment. What is the 16th Amendment? The 16th Amendment of the Constitution is an amendment which allows the government to place what it calls reasonable restrictions on due process in the interest of sovereignty and integrity of India. Mm. Every iteration of the UAPA cites the 16th Amendment of the Constitution. So... You have, mm-hmm. in 1967, the first iteration of the UAP, and this is the most weakest version of UAPA we know. Mm-hmm. In, in the 1967 version, the state can restrict freedom of speech, right to assemble, right to form association. We still do not have the, you know, the things we will see in the, like as we go forward as we go to 19 uh, as we go to uh, 1969 2004 2008 2012 and 2019 we will see numerous amendments to mm-hmm. the uapa each one making its powers more like like you know till till a large point uapa was supposed to be about individuals Individuals suspected of terrorism, but in a recent amendment, now it covers individuals associated with illegal organizations. Earlier, suppose you were a member of the M.C.C., for example, you couldn't be arrested till there was reasonable grounds to suspect that you yourself have engaged in uh, uh, insurrectionary and activities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, the phrase "anti-national" does not mean anything. I think for our purposes, we <laughs> should use phrases like insurrection because, like, what does "anti-national" even mean? That's meaningful. its a sentiment. It's a sentiment. It's, it's a sentiment, it's right? Yeah, yeah. So, so the Supreme Court again and again and again had said in the past that you couldn't use UAPA for associations with organizations, right? But. Mm-hmm the supreme court was full of shit to be to be very honest over here because even with those earlier iterations of uapa you see massive arrests of people on no more grounds than suspicion of association especially in bengal in in tamil nadu and in kerala related to the communist movement and then we would see that in andhra pradesh uh, with relation to the naxal movement right Mm -hmm. Incidentally, till date, the CPI-ML, the Communist Party of India, Marxist-Leninist, which is called the Naxals, it is still not illegal. While the Maoist strands are illegal organizations, the ML strands, there are 40 or so strands at this point, but they are not technically illegal. So when all these people were being picked up on suspicions of being Naxalites, after the emergency it is very fuzzy to understand what section of uapa was was being used and on what grounds were these people being arrested and indefinitely locked up and tortured and things like that so there is the the theory and the practice of the uapa are very different when it comes to their uh, weaponization against uh, what is called extreme left-wing movements etc etc despite Mm. this integration council of the 60s being about caste religion and all that we pretty much never see the uapa being used in religious violence or caste violence like nobody used the uapa for you know the Babri masjid incident like which was exactly a ground for like religious polarization and violence for which ostensibly these laws were made. Similarly, uh, like uh, with mob lynching of religious minorities and all that sort of stuff, which is exactly what UAP was apparently designed around, it has pretty much never been used. So, if you look at people who are jailed in UAPA, and I think uh, Comrade Pramod wants to talk about those people, we would see that there is a massive... Overrepresentation of left wing activists and suspected insurrectionists like massively like beyond any other category um, mm. there are two other laws which need to be mentioned when UAPA is mentioned one is the criminal law amendment act of 1972 and uh, the other one is the terrorist amendment act 2019, they also uh, impact UAP. Then there are two other non-existent laws right now. One was TADA, uh, Terrorist and Disruptive Activities Prevention Act, which also gave the police extreme amounts of uh, leeway in uh, arresting people. Uh, TADA uh, was... uh, created uh, uh, in 1987 it was renewed in 1989 1991 1993 and it was extremely unpopular uh, mm-hmm. because it had uh, things like you know you could be arrested for advocacy like words and words could be interpreted in many different ways so whoever whosoever advocated indirectly for secession could be, punished how to interpret that sentence is always up to a police officer right you could have a copy of some book in your house and that could be interpreted as uh as advocacy Uh, uh, also a person could be locked up without producing before a magistrate for two months so tada used to produce a lot of incidents of custodial torture and death Uh, um There was, of course, no presumption of innocence. Uh, uh, confessions uh, made in a police station could be used as evidence, which goes against the principle of natural justice, because, of course, you can beat up people and make them sign whatever. Generally, confessions are not valid if they are not made before somebody, at least at a seniority level of a superintendent, but under TADA Literally any police officer uh, could be used, uh, etc. So uh, also appeals were not there. Uh, uh, and, uh, and appeals in high court, you could only appeal to Supreme Court, which of course are much harder. So Tata was extremely unpopular and, and it was allowed to lapse in 1995. Then in 2002, the then NDA government... Uh, tried to create another such law called uh, POTA, Prevention of Terrorism Act 2002. And again, uh, you know, the definition of terrorism was extremely vague. Uh, the confessions were allowed to be considered as evidence. Uh, witnesses bail, was, bail procedures yeah, yeah, ba- yeah exactly uh, etc. And it was repealed in 2004 uh, because it was being massively uh, abused. Uh, apparently, when it was enacted in four months, 250 people were arrested. So, yeah. uh, under this, and in the next, uh, and in eight months, 940 people etc.
1: Some of the cases that actually got some attention were uh, tribals in Jharkhand, especially women and children being detained under Pota. Yes. Um, yes. And that was um, serious enough that I think it was uh,
0: LK Advani who kind of had to concede that okay, Pota was being misused. Yes, yeah, because all the politicians had started to use this against their rivals as well. Yes. So, even like, you know, you had like... Uh, mlas being arrested left right and center under portal like vaiko was arrested who mm-hmm. was general secretary of mdmk right and mm-hmm. you had uh, like many such shady arrests in up by rival politicians so it was happening all over uh, yes so tada and porta does not exist anymore but what exists is a very scary variant of the long running UAPA which today's episode is about so comrade Pramod why don't you talk a bit about how UAPA has historically been used against individuals against organizations and how it has been used in the recent in recent memory
2: yeah so I mean like uh, I'll just go back to what I've like after the Um, amendments in 2008 because that's when you see uapa kind of like uh, taking the place of tada and pota and these other anti-terrorism laws Um, of course the uh, context of this was basically like uh, it was towards the end of the uh, first upa government there was twenty six eleven, which I think, like you know, we talk a lot about nine eleven, but I think twenty six eleven itself, in some sense, is uh, kind of a turning point as far as in the Indian security yes. state goes. Yes.
1: Um,
2: You have, you know, with after twenty six eleven, you suddenly have these widespread demands, like, and you have to understand that you know things like POTA and TADA, while were, were extremely unpopular, but um, At that time, suddenly you see the Indian public becoming extremely hawkish towards all of this. And there Mm -hmm. are then demands that these, uh, you know, you have some kind of anti-terrorism law being brought Mm -hmm. in. So what the UPA does is that it does not reintroduce something like quota, but what it does is that it starts strengthening UAPA. And basically sort of like, that was something that already happened to a certain degree when they had... uh, kind of repealed quota that they started strengthening UAPA. But really after 2008 is when you actually see it being able to strengthen to something that is like really recognizable today. Um, Immediately immediately. you see, you see certain things happening, right? Uh, um, And, you know, in, uh, in my opinion, you cannot really see this in isolation to a kind of obsession with terrorism that, uh, India started having at that point of time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so you suddenly, what, what happens after that? After that, what happens is you, you have stuff like the Batla House encounter, right? Uh, you see, uh, and in some sense, you know, the, I mean, like the Batla House encounter was actually before 2611, if I remember correctly. It was a yes. few, it was before 2611, but, you know, around that time, period of time, you suddenly have this widespread demand that the Indian state, you, you have this widespread perception that the UPA was quote-unquote soft on terror, right? Um, yes. You then started having demands that uh, uh, the UPA start getting tough on terror, tough on crime, etc. And so you have these things, trending. you UPA. now obviously uh, at that point of time, so i you know, growing up in West Bengal, one of the things that we were seeing at that point of time was the fact that uh, uh, against the uh, ruling CPI, I mean, you suddenly had a large, uh, you know, outburst of kind of like uh, left-wing uh, activism. Uh, might sound strange to some people, but it's really not um, over their role in crushing peasant movements. So at that point of time, there was an insurgency that had actually started in. Uh, uh, in uh, in what the western districts of West Bengal? Um, mm. In some sense, there was also this kind of red scare that was around, along with this obsession over quote-unquote Islamic terrorism. There was also a kind of red scare that was kind of going on, and which the UPA government kind of paid lip service to by saying that you know um, Maoism is basically the biggest internal security threat that India possesses. I think that was Manmohan Singh who said that. Was the prime minister at the time. Um, you started having all these state governments. You had stuff like Operation Green Hunt in uh, Andhra slash Telangana. You had stuff like, you know, and I mean, like Green Hunt, uh, and you had like these Greyhound corps being uh, used in Telangana. You had um, in West Bengal, you had the Eastern Frontier Rifles being mobilized. And in this context, you actually started seeing these activists, uh, various activists being slapped with UAPA cases. Uh, in fact, the first custodial death under UAP actually did not happen in what you'd expect was a Congress or a BJP-ruled state. It actually happened in West Bengal. There was a certain person, uh, left-wing, uh, uh, he was bas- basically a middle-class uh, activist guy. He was basically uh, an editor of a magazine. The magazine itself wasn't, left-wing magazine, the magazine itself wasn't banned. But that became a pretext to pick him up. And he, he was a man named Shopan Gupto. And he was murdered. He, was, he basically, there was basically, he was murdered in custody. After allegations of torture and whatnot. There were also a bunch of people who were arrested at that time from Jongwal Mall. Um, Mahato was one of them. Uh, there were other people uh, who also later died in custody. Like Shudeep Chomdar and some other people. So you had this thing where, you know, the UAPA was being used in West Bengal to basically quote-unquote arrest left-wing activists by the CPIM. Mm -hmm. And obviously the Trinomul Congress had this big promise before they came to power of releasing all political prisoners. And this is is salient because uh, these arrests, at least in West Bengal, were seen as fundamentally political arrests. Uh, of course, as it turned out, very few of them were released. Shatrudhar uh, mathu was only released uh, very recently in the context of the elections. Um, in other places, uh, you also obviously saw this law being used disproportionately against Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw yes. a bunch bunch of Muslim organisations, for instance, uh, getting uh, you know around two thousand eight. So, for instance, you had uh, simi Semi was uh, which is Students Islamic Movement of India. They were banned in after nine eleven by the Vajpayee government, but they were reinstated by the Chief Justice of India uh, in two thousand. Um, I mean, like it, it was uh, uh, the ban was lifted in August of two thousand eight. But then again, the Chief Justice of India within uh, in a few weeks basically uh, banned them on national security grounds again. Um, they, And, you know, the thing is that uh, side-by-side with the person, with left wing activists being picked up, you also had Muslim activists being picked up. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Uh, Of late, um, with the um, advent of the Modi government, we've obviously also seen it being used against Ambedkarites in Maharashtra and other places for instance. Um, So... You, now what has happened with regards to the UAPA is that the UAPA has been used to criminalize any and all forms of dissent. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you see someone, you see people, you know, who were actually not very, at one point of time, not even very opposed to the BJP, like Okil Boboy and Assam being slapped with the UAPA because of his opposition to the citizenship amendment bill all disclaimers about us not endorsing his politics go there, but, you know even even for someone like that, they're applying UAPA. You're seeing the UAPA being applied in the context of the anti-NRC, anti-CA agitation. Mm-hmm. You're seeing this applied. Uh, and in fact, uh, according to statistics, the number of UAPA cases have suddenly gone up. Now, the problem with UAPA is that the conviction rate is actually very, very low. Uh, mm-hmm. even, though, even though the uh, law has very low evidentially requirements to actually have a conviction as opposed to certain other laws, the conviction rate in spite of that is very low. You also have other stories like, you know, and these are the ones which actually escape our attention. I mean, obviously hear about the high profile cases of activists that are being, being picked up, etc. But there are certain stories which we don't hear about, which is, you know, concerning certain Muslim, uh, random Muslims, Random um, Scheduled Tribe uh, people in Chhattisgarh and Telangana and places like that who get picked up under the UAPA. Um, especially with some of the Muslim cases have come to attention because of uh, organisations like mili gazette talit Camera, etc. Mm-hmm. Who have actually brought uh, you know I mean you actually see that these are people whose. Uh, who have never actually been convicted, but they've been uh, sort of like you know the case has been going on for years, and they've been languishing in jail as under trials for this entire period. Before, you know losing decade a decade of their lives. I mean, like um, these are the cases that can escape attention. Uh, we are hear about the big cases. We hear about Mansalib, we hear about Aafil Mansalib, we hear about uh Gogoi. We hear about but her uh, father stands for me was another...
1: The Basically, a lot of the Bhima people are high profile. Yeah. High
2: profile cases. And so, in some sense now, the thing is that uh, these are the more high profile cases. But the low profile cases of ordinary people, like we had a, few years, uh, a year or so back, right before the elections, and a year by now. We had some uh, random villagers being picked up by some anti-terrorism squad in uh, in Mushilah right? mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, and some other people in Kerala. When all Bengali Muslims, uh, and obviously the BJP tried to you a try of it and saying that you know they were operating in Al Qaeda Now, what did they find? They found some country pistols and country bombs in their homes. Which is basically something that you know. You suspect that this was basically some kind of election stunt because, well, in rural West Bengal, uh, you know, elections are violent. and these kind of things happen. So they were basically a bunch of local juntas, but they were accused of being Al Qaeda and they were, uh, you know, arrested under UAPA. And nobody really knows what's happened to them. Like, you know, there are very few activist groups who care. And um, I mean, yeah. like, I I don't know who the lawyers was looking at their cases, but. This kind of low-intensity slapping of you up just to make a political point or something, this happens all the time. And these are the cases we don't get to hear about. In particular, of late, this has been applied disproportionately against Muslims. I mean, Historically, also, it has been disproportionately applied against Muslims. There should be no uh, you know, second-guessing about that, but uh, of late, it's gotten even worse when you actually find mm-hmm. random people posting weird stuff on social media, right? Being picked up and arrested, so you have stuff like that, and uh, and, you know uh, when you have stuff like that, uh, you you really see that you know some and and the nature of this law being what it is, these cases can go on forever. Like even you even see this, you see this with the high profile cases, right? That these cases are going on indefinitely. Very low evidential requirements, just basic suspicion required. Um, you know, you have GN people like GN you have people like uh, Farwarara. Uh, but uh, I mean, like, uh, these are, uh, I mean, like, UAPA is a kind of law that actually allows for these things to happen. There are obviously other laws also we have, I mean, like, which are related to it, like anti anti-section law, right? Um, and you see that often these cases are combined together, right? Like the anti-sedition law and the UAPA cases. Right? uh yes. sort, of, sort of like being combined together to basically this point. So the thing is we still, I mean, like there are very, I mean, unlawful as um, Chondu pointed out, the definition of what an unlawful, I and mean, like what these things are is very like, very vague. I it's really up to the police. And these are... In some ways, I mean, UAPA cases are almost always political. Mm. So, and yeah.
0: as far as and I essentially, think... anybody in our audience, if the state wants, can be arrested under UAPA. If you have a physics book in your library, or if you have a mildly political text, that could be more than enough to get you arrested in UAPA by historical... Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah.
2: yeah. So I mean, like, I mean, like as Tungdu points out, right? Yeah. It's, it's like basically having I mean like really, really like just normal Marxist literature at home can be like grounds for you know, prosecutors saying that you know you are a cases stuff.
1: But um, one thing I wanted to point to though, I think it's it, that that definitely is one of the sort of very loose, playing fast and loose with the definition of what constitutes unlawful has been one way in which the law has been uh, completely misused and abused. But I'm also, for me, what's interesting with the with the last five years is the way in which it's very clear that evidence has probably been planted, right? I will say allegedly, but by all yes, around... Yes, yes. Like uh,
0: this has been...
1: Yeah, so Ron Robinson's since- Rona Wilson's computer was, well, he got a copy of a clone, I think of his hard disk um, and the Arsenal consultancy basically, you know, he because he has these networks, he's able to sort of, you know, b- back his own research up by finding out what this so-called uh, anti-lawful, you know, sorry, unlawful content on his laptops were. And apparently they were all planted malware. So it was like, um, what I think is interesting is one, the NIA now becoming the agency through which this un lawfulness can both be investigated and obviously engineered right um the nia of course comes into formation after the 2000 uh, sorry after the 2611 terrorist attack so in some ways the the need for the nia backed up by the the giving like giving it these sweeping powers through which they can actually uh, you know confiscate evidence put people under house arrest special nia courts that can then um Continually deny bail to to, to who are clearly infirm, older, uh, you know, detainees. These are these are a, a sort of s- drastic escalation of the scope and the application of UAPA that I think yes. is honestly alarming and terrifying because. Yeah, it, by, yeah.
0: by the, the, way, way, <laughs> by, the way, by the way, I made an yeah. error earlier. I said that earlier, uh, individuals who committed terrorist acts could be arrested under UAPA, and now affiliated people can be arrested. Actually, earlier individuals couldn't be arrested at all before 2019, like uh, organizations were proscribed terrorist organizations, but there was no such thing as an uh, individual terrorist. Like you had to have done a terrorist act. Now you could be called an individual terrorist. What does that even mean? Like you you don't need to do a terrorist thing. You can just be a terrorist.
2: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: what does
2: yeah, so, that mean? So 2019 actually saw both the expansion of the powers of the NIA as well as the UAPA powers being expanded, which is how yes. you typically have these arrests of people. So that's actually one of the differences between the Bhima Koregao case and what we've seen recently with people like Shadi Imam. With Bhima yes. Koregao, there was obviously that attempt to lead them back to the CPI now. Yes. Right? Yes, which is how, which would be like, which is, which is why they required, you know, planting of evidence and whatnot. Whereas yes. with Babji and all, they did not even require that because, you know, they could just say that, you know, you were doing some act of terrorism in individual capacity. Now,
0: yes, terrorism
2: in I've said this before, or maybe on this uh, on this podcast or something, but terrorism in India is very poorly defined. I mean, we get a lot of flat for this, but uh, terrorism. No, no. You
0: know We have like we have discussed this in the past as well. Terrorism is an extremely vague concept in India, which which historically it's not used like that, and also it's like it today, even the like. definition which is internationally used now, which requires. Uh, civilians to be targets of terrorist activities, that is not used like that in India. So you can have militants attacking police stations or army outposts being called terrorists, which is an insane so, extension so now, of the now, term.
2: Now, for, now mm-hmm. for instance, with the UAPA, like, the reason a lot of people are getting caught now and slapped with UAPA cases is now they've actually uh, defined something called cyber
0: terrorism. Right. yes, <laughs> yes. it could mean anything,
2: it could basically
0: mean anything. Like, uh, earlier, uh,
2: you, when you had like you are, I mean, like with terrorism, you obviously had some kind of you know, you had to be linked to an organization that was banned in India as a terrorist organization or something. Mm-hmm. Now, you have now, for instance, the NIA has the powers to investigate things like human trafficking. Circulation of fake currency, like which is supposed to be, you know, body things that are supposed to be investigated by other police bodies, uh, manufacture and sale of arms, and uh, yes. you know, cyber, cyber terrorism. So now you can basically have the NIA on your ass for just posting content, like which is like uh, somehow, you know, the Indian government and Indian state or even a state government really doesn't like. So mm-hmm. now the the ambit of the NIA and the India's powers and the U.S. U.S. powers have been greatly expanded. It could be anything. It's basically now, uh, and, and the fact is like you know you also have to like link it back to this growing wave of nationalism that is going on, and it's very important to understand in some sense that you know there was a particular direction in which India's going was going um, mm-hmm. until the until the mid two thousands. And it suddenly, reversed quotes. I, I I mean, like it would be very easy to say that you know things were always like this, but you know these laws we have to people have to understand were unpopular. There yes. was a big concern for civil liberties, etc. At the time, what has been gradually happening? And as I said, I see twenty six eleven as a big inflection point. Two thousand eight is a big inflection point for me. Yes,
1: because I agree.
2: because in two thousand eight, you suddenly have this kind of thing that you know these kind of things have to be like you know we, we, this, we've gone too far we've become like too concerned with civil liberties etc now we need to like and there was like a concerted media campaign to do, and, and i mean that these these kinds of media weren't necessarily affiliated with the india at the time or the bjp at the
0: time I mean, exactly yeah. exactly mm-hmm. one yes. thing we have said again and again is that uapa was ultimately a product of the congress it was also used by various state governments against whoever was inconvenient to them, including the communist parties, whenever it was in power. In fact, it's still used in Kerala. In Kerala. Kerala, it's being used right. against left wing activists and Muslim activists. Yes,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Of course, the Congress has used this again and again. And if some of the newer uh, you know anti-BJP parties have not used it, perhaps it's because they're really new. So like, you know, we are not going to say, oh, okay, app has not used it. because oh, they don't have the
2: power to use it. They Basically. don't have the power
0: to, exactly. Yes. So every state government anti-BJP party has used this. And hence, it is very important that unless an opposition party openly says that if they ever get into power, they will work on repealing uapa they cannot be trusted this this law has been so convenient to all these parties and yet it is fundamentally undemocratic it has no rationale to exist it can be used to pretty much detain any uh, you know target of any party whoever is in power and hence the the you know the working toiling masses of this country for them this law will always be a threat a weapon against them there is really no good reason why any party uh, should not uh, you know openly say that they are going to repeal this until they say it, they should be looked at with suspicion
1: because at the end of the day, every party is out to sort of eliminate its enemies, eliminate resistance, right? They simply cannot be trusted to um, to just ignore the law and let democracy flourish. Every single party. Yeah, yes. Easy. And we have yeah.
0: seen that you know, uh, like the circumstances these parties have created end up helping the fascists when the once the fascists are in power. Yes. And and yes. UAP is a classic case of that. Anybody who does not opposes UAP, any party. Which, in its capacity in power, uses UAPA has to be agitated against. Uh, parties have known to be extremely hypocritical on this, and uh, there is no space for UAPA in any kind of progressive reality we are trying to make. On okay. that note, yes. uh, before we end, I would also, uh, you know, have a uh, sort of a. Uh, note for our audience i don't know if you guys know this but recently the indian government with some new rbi law made a thing that if your credit card is being regularly you know paying something then uh, you have you, that can't happen you can't have regular payments you need uh, you need to manually allow that each time and what that has resulted in Is that a massive number of our patrons have their cards have been cancelled as in they probably did not know of this rbi thing and we have lost like it's not that the
2: cards have been cancelled but the payments have been cancelled
0: yes the payments have been cancelled thank you Pramod. so we have lost like two-thirds of our patron we have suddenly gone down to a very small number and you know this Podcast requires a lot of work and research and getting people together and editing. We would really like it if you support our work. So, if you were our patrons before, or if you would consider supporting us now, please become our patron. And if you become our patron, please manually up like allow every month for the charge to be cut. We would really like it if you guys uh, supported our work. On that note, thank you and good night.